I killed a PC and they got all salty over it, but how am I even wrong? So I'm gonna try to be as objective as I can here. This happened a while back, but it's kind of haunting me now. So I wanted to ask the opinion of the masses about this. I was DMing a homebrew world that's designed to be fairly dark and gritty. In session zero, I make it clear that the world has a lot of differences. I go into lore and everyone is loving the depth of the world building. Most notable to this post, I mention that certain forms of magic are lost and are effectively banned unless I decide they're not. These are 1. Instantaneous travel. Any teleport longer than Dimension Door, any planar travel. 2. Bringing back the dead. Revivify, raise dead, etc. 3. Spells that violate minds. Dominate person, modify memory, etc. A couple of the players ask why. I explain my reasoning. The players are fully on board. The game starts. Everyone is loving it. Lots of great roleplay. Players get attached to their characters and even have art made for them. There's laughing, crying, and everything in between. Combats are tough and intense, and the PCs are used to intelligent NPCs reacting intelligently. Twelve sessions in, the players are confronted by the special forces of an empire they've been undermining for a while now. This has been a long time coming, and the players know they're being hunted. They size up the opposition and get decent enough roles that I explain in no uncertain terms that these guys are effectively their counterparts, an intelligent, organized squad of killers with class levels. One of the players suggests pulling back to a more advantageous position, but is shot down by the rest of the party. It's a pretty smart idea, so I throw an are you sure about that, but it gets pushed past. I figure it's fine, if they start losing, they can just retreat. It's five PCs against four fighters and a wizard. I decide to remove action surge from the NPC fighters, but otherwise make them evenly leveled and geared with the PCs. The fight starts and the team's Hexblade Warlock almost immediately throws herself behind enemy lines, far from his team, and cuts down one of the commandos with some fantastic rolls. Speaking in Frightened Common, the enemy leader, the wizard, tells them to focus down the threat, and the entire team collapses on the Hexblade. Hexblade's shield spell gets counterspelled by the wizard, and the PC sorcerer is too far back to contest it. Hexblade gets dropped in a round. The team rushes to back her up, and the cleric casts a healing word, in full view of every opposing fighter, as the Hexblade gets back up. I'm a little annoyed that I've talked so much about these guys being intelligent opponents for the Hexblade to simply Leroy Jenkins in, but while I want my introduction to the Commando Squad to be menacing, I don't want it to feel completely out of left field. Right at the start of the Hexblade's turn, I say the leader calls out that you have a healer, and commands his men to finish the job properly when they drop you, expecting it to scare her enough to pull back to her team, and likely retreat from the fight. Hexblade begins her turn with three hit points, flanked by a pair of enemy fighters, one slightly wounded and the other completely fresh, and rather than disengage, she decides to stand her ground. I give another, are you sure about that? She's sure. I assume she knows what she's doing. She does a good chunk of damage, but on the enemy's fighter's turn, she goes down again, and as instructed, the fighter finishes the job, attacking her on the ground and forcing her to fail all her death saves before the cleric's next turn. I play up the death scene in as cinematic a way as I can, and give the character a hero's death as she fights to the bitter end, giving her an opportunity to say any last words to her team, or spit blood at her killer's face as she goes down. She chose to stand rather than run, so it confuses me that the player is silent through this and isn't picking up the balls I'm throwing. The rest of the players want to roleplay their character's grief in the moment, but the Hexblade's player is way too quiet, so everyone just kind of moves past it, and the session ends. Four days later, the Hexblade player sends me a massive essay about how what I did was unfair, and that I shouldn't have killed her character without her permission, but that she'll let it go as long as I let her come back from the dead. I reply that I gave her a ton of hints, 
and the fact that she chose to go ahead made me assume she was aware of the consequences. And the whole point of removing revives was to make death feel heavy and narratively defining. She replies that she's autistic and doesn't get in-game cues. She never mentioned her mental health before, and was pretty good about recognizing cues for several sessions before this one. And that I should have paused the game and spoken to her out of character, and that now the art she commissioned is useless. I tell her that her character is an adventurer, and has been in dozens of similarly lethal situations before, and that maybe if she had played with the team instead of rushing in, she would have fared better. She lashes at me, saying I'm blaming her now, and begins to throw insults at me. I tell her she's no longer welcome at my table and block her. I assume she blew up at some of the other players because then they start blowing up my DMs trying to either defend her or apologize to me on her behalf. She was the only woman in the group, and there was definitely some amount of orbiting going on so I wasn't too surprised, but I was already really annoyed at her at that point, so I informed them all that there would not be another session and ended the game on the spot. So I present to you, O oh jury. Am I a bad DM? How do you handle situations like this? This is the reason why I ban those forms of magic. Long-range teleports. A lot of my campaigns have players choosing between two or more important exciting things going on simultaneously. As a DM, I'm only going to prep for one of them, but I still want the players to feel like the world is alive without them, so I write the narrative with the other event happening in the background anyway, and resolving without them. With the party then potentially having to deal with the consequences, Teleportation means I can't do that unless I either pull something out of my ass, or prep for them suddenly arriving at the second event too. Planar travel is a no-go for in-lore reasons. This particular plane is cut off from the multiverse. Resurrection. I want my players to act in a way where death is a risk worth being worried about, since that makes them a lot more excited when they encounter dangerous situations and dangerous enemies, and I absolutely live for those moments. The level of camaraderie you create by the feeling that death is always looming overhead even if in practice it rarely ever happens, also tends to stomp out a lot of shitty and annoying behavior, like sabotaging teammates or instigating NPCs, and turning social encounters into combats for no reason. There's also no fear of death if you can just pop tart off the ground every time the cleric uses healing word, so having enemies just ignore downed enemies as a rule doesn't feel right to me either, especially if they've already seen it happen once. Mind Magic Mind-altering magic bypasses dialogue, roleplay, and social encounters, which are a big part of the fun of D&D &D for me. I'm also the type to make my players talk it out and not just roll a persuasion check to seduce the dragon or whatever. Also, I've never seen dominate person or modify memory used in a way that doesn't feel creepy, and I don't like encouraging that kind of behavior. What do you think? Comment below and listen to how this DM handles his problem player. I was DM for a group of five players, three of which were friends of mine and the other two, including problem player, were friends of the former three. Early on it was clear that the problem character was used to getting their way, having first played D&D &D growing up with their dad as the DM, and would get salty when things went wrong for them. Playing as a paladin, they would often use their alignment of lawful good as a reason behind a lot of their impulsively combative choices towards anything remotely evil, even towards the other party members who weren't some form of good. Initially I rolled with this since A, I didn't know them well enough to figure any differently, and B, they kept up a dialogue with their deity when it fit the campaign and following their lawful alignment, they kept to a strict schedule of mediation and training. Always gets bonus points with me when I see players roleplay to their character. For the first handful of sessions, they even attempted peaceful resolution with things that were not obviously evil to them. However, as the campaign progressed, the player would become increasingly hostile, and berate their companions for not following them blindly into the fray, against any perceived evil or slight towards them, criticizing them in combat, citing their years of experience in playing the game, and butting into RP moments between other players. 
Additionally, the player would constantly ask me for completely overpowered items or weapons, arguing that since they slew evil in the name of their deity, they were entitled to divine rewards. It was at this stage that I spoke to them through their deity with something along the lines of, a good deed is not truly good when done with only expectation of a reward. This only frustrated them, and after a few sessions of them trying to get an overpowered weapon, I gave them one. It was a sword I had put into a shrine that had fallen into disrepair deep in the woods, with a draconic inscription reading, Ultimate power to thee who wields me, nothing more. I took care to describe this shrine as a holy yet melancholic place, that despite its age and lack of any protection, had commanded the respect of even the forests surrounding it. I had additionally sprinkled in some lore about the former civilization, which had wielded such respect in the closest villages and hamlets on the outskirts of the forest, telling the party that its own power became its undoing. Upon the sword's discovery by another party member, the paladin practically leapt over them and immediately grabbed the sword, saying, I take it. So I got them to roll a strength check, which I had them fail, much to the relief of the other players and the chagrin of the paladin. I tell the paladin that they hear a voice in their head, Do you desire ultimate power over everything else? To which the paladin says, Absolutely. So I give them another chance to pull the sword from its resting place. Powered by an unseen force, they succeeded and roll high, practically gloating to the other PCs about how badass they're going to be in combat with it, while the whole table collectively groans. In that moment I describe the paladin suddenly feeling as if something shattered within them, as their divine connection to their deity is snuffed out. Their armor becomes too heavy and they collapse with the sword. I ask the player for their sheet and the whole table goes silent. I hand it back having changed the paladin's alignment to chaotic evil. Their spells are gone, without their deity to lend power to them. Their ability's gone. Their AC is 5 and they cannot increase it. I describe the sword to them, having drank their alignment and strength from their own successful strength check. It had become a truly powerful weapon. Flawless and golden in its appearance that the now enfeebled classless paladin could not even properly lift, nor could they throw away. The player was gobsmacked as I told them that there was only one way to earn back the favor of their deity, to renounce their thirst for power. After a tantrum in which the player threatened to leave and claimed I was biased against them, complaining that they could sense evil and should have been able to tell if the sword was cursed, the sword itself was neutral, since power doesn't care about who wields it, the campaign progressed. Thus the paladin was forced to rely on the party in order to continue playing, communicating with them in encounters and RPing with them, rather than against them, outside of combat. To their credit they started to adapt to the restrictions placed on them by amongst other things, using the sword as an impromptu shield rather effectively. Even having another player help them lift the sword to atomize a demon plaguing a city in a climactic battle. It led to a whole arc in which the party chose to help the paladin get rid of the curse of power the sword had placed on them which they successfully did after engaging their former self. The paladin as they were before they picked up the sword in combat, realizing that any time they attacked, so did their old self, and in turn stopped attacking and embraced them. It was a fun moment in an otherwise slightly bumpy start to a campaign, but I think the player got the point I was trying to make, since afterwards they got better at being less tantrumy, and combative for the sake of it, even respected their party members. Big win in my eyes for everyone involved. We all deal with problem players differently, do you think these DMs did a good job? Please share your stories of dealing with your problem players in the comments. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel All Things D&D. Stay tuned for more amazing Dungeons & Dragons content.